0: Hello listeners, Eric here. The book Political Gospel by Patrick Schreiner came out today, October 18th. So in light of that, we are going to rebroadcast the interview we had with Dr. Schreiner a couple months ago where we talked about his book. I hope you enjoy it and go check his book out. Thanks.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of City on a Hill, a podcast about what it means to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. We want to encourage christians to find their tribe in the church and their hope in the kingdom of god rather than to seek both in the kingdom of man so with that let's get to it today
0: well hello i'm eric Eastep,
1: and i'm scott Reevley,
0: and this is another episode of the city on a hill podcast welcome back today we have a special guest. Uh, Scott was actually at ETS Evangelical Theological Society, uh, the Northwest flavor of that. Uh, what was that? A couple weeks ago, and mm-hmm. got to hear uh, Dr. Schreiner speak. And so we um, we we get to have him on the podcast this morning. So Scott, why don't you do a little interdu- introduction?
1: Well, we are very happy to have uh, Patrick Schreiner here. He is a professor at Theological okay. okay. Seminary. And uh, he has been um, a friend for a while. He taught at Western Seminary, where uh, Eric and I have connections. And so uh, we are glad to be talking with, uh, with him today. We're talking to him because he has come out with, uh, well, he hasn't even come out yet with, he's just let us know it's coming out, a book called The Political Gospel, which is quite intriguing. And so, uh, Patrick, welcome.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. And I want to ask Eric, do you remember any of your Greek that I taught you? Oh, of course. <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs>
2: Great. We were Eric was in my class. So I just wanted to note that. That right? oh, was fantastic.
0: <laughs> Good times. I'm preaching this we're, week, and I'm working through the Greek right now. So totally.
2: I,
1: amen. Amen. Good. There you go. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you for helping him with that. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just to get us started, uh, Patrick, why do you think that the gospel is political. Why do you say that? Because I think yeah, it's and, free. I don't think it's political, right? You don't think it's political. There well, you go. Yeah. Convince yeah.
2: Me. <laughs> I'll try to convince you. Yeah. So maybe I'll, I'll even back up and give a little bit of background to why I got into this, and then I'll, I'll jump into that topic. But um, okay. I think as, as everyone looks at the American church right now, there's a lot of division over mm-hmm. politics and how we think through it as Christians and how mm-hmm. to respond to it we're not only divided in our nation, but um, in the church, uh, we saw 2016 to now currently 2022, just this um, ramping up of um, partisanship and um, yeah, just a a lot happening with uh, different elections. And then obviously that seemed to almost intensify in the midst of COVID. And so I was watching this as a professor and also studying the New Testament consistently. That's my profession Mm -hmm. and trying to think about, okay, how do do we address this issue? And one of the things that I started to get into was, um, you know, when we study the the scriptures, you always want to think about the background to the scriptures. Um, And so obviously a lot when I teach is like, okay, how does this make sense in its own context? And many times when we go to the context, we think about the Jewish context, which is probably easier for us because it's the Old Testament. <laughs> mm. So as Bible-believing Christians, we naturally just go to that Jewish context and think about, okay, when Jesus said he's the Messiah, what does that mean according to the Old Testament? Or um, when God calls himself light, why does he call himself light in the New Testament? It's based on an Old Testament story. So th- that's the way I think we usually think. But um As I was studying, I started to think more about the Greco-Roman background as well and just reminded myself that Jesus existed in a political system Mm -hmm. (laughs) under the Greco-Roman rule. And at that point, it was the Roman rule and that he was actually asked questions about the Roman rule in terms of taxes to Caesar and so forth and so on. And not only that, but he's crucified on a Roman cross and... From what we know of Paul in Acts, obviously, he was put in Roman prisons. Uh, according to church tradition, uh, he was killed under the Roman government. So was Peter. So we have our three main figures, Jesus, Peter, Paul, all existing, of course, under the Roman government and um, actually dying under the Roman government. And so I, I really wanted to begin thinking, okay, Often when we come to the scriptures, we think about the religious environment, but there's also a political environment that they're existing under. And so the New Testament must have a lot to teach us. The whole Bible, for that matter, have a lot to teach us about how to exist under different political systems. And so that was kind of my entry point into this. And um, as I began thinking about how how are we addressing this issue of politics in the church? Maybe we're not addressing it at all, (laughs) or maybe we are addressing it um but it seems it seemed to me there were kind of two poles of how to address this issue number one that you make your faith completely private
1: Mm.
2: and so you privatize your faith and you say has nothing to do with politics (laughs) that's one way of avoiding in other words and i think this is maybe the most common thing to do in one sense um to say you have you know you have your Public life, and then you have your private life, and your private life is your religious life. Mm-hmm. It's your interior life. It's uh, what you believe, but you can't, you don't want to force that anybody else. So, pu- politics or, or public life is something different than that, and so we separate those two spheres. That's that's one way of in, uh, maybe not engaging in this issue. Um, the other way, though, which is also common, is what you could call partisanship, where you so combine your faith with maybe either a political party or a political system or a political theory that the two ultimately come completely and wholly together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's either uh, the way I describe it is either you privatize or you part it, you make it partisan. And my argument in the book is that both of those ways of going about it are not helpful. Mm-hmm. And that that's maybe the tendency that we have. Maybe, maybe I could put that more strongly, but not biblical. It's um, very political of you to say that. <laughs> way. Yeah. And that the way we should, th- <laughs> thank you. The way that we should think of the gospel itself is not a private thing or not a partisan thing, but is a fully political thing. Mm-hmm. So the the middle ground is actually political. And when you hear that, mm. you're like, wait a second, that, that just sounds like partisan. But what I, but what I mean by political is political in the historical sense of the term. Politics comes from, now we're getting into Greek, Eric, uh, polis city, right? (laughs) You should quiz him. (laughs) Yes. Um, I've done this rant before, I know this rant, let's do it. (laughs) It it comes from the word uh, polis, which means city or the organization of a city. And so really politics simply means public life the activities associated with the organization or governance of a people. It has to do with who has the right to rule a people who has the right to organize a people, what you do as a society. Augustine called it um, kind of ordering our loves. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So what do you Mm -hmm. love and how do you order those loves? And so my argument in the book is let's not separate our faith from politics. Let's actually understand that the gospel is fully and wholly political not private, not partisan, but fully and wholly political. It, what do I mean by that? It's public in terms of it's mm-hmm. it's not just a private belief, but it's a public thing. That doesn't mean, and you have to correct, right, right? Immediately you have to say what that doesn't mean too. It doesn't mean that I'm arguing for a combination of church and state.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm arguing that we need to institute, um, and this is a deeper issue, but institute Christian law into our governing system. But what I am arguing is that Jesus Christ had a claim and that claim was a claim of kingship. Mm. And that's a claim of rulership, which is fully political. Mm. And so therefore these two issues don't actually have to be separate. They should, we
1: we should be talking about politics in church. Well, they actually must be together. They must be together. They must be together together, is what you're saying.
2: That's right, yeah.
1: And and some of it is, so I was, I've been thinking about this uh, some too. And it seems that when you privatize your faith, that there is sort of a redaction of the gospel so that it's me and Jesus and I'm, the gospel Mm -hmm. exists for me to go to heaven as opposed to what the Bible, you know, uh, suggests the gospel is the whole story of humanity, where God is going to establish the, his reign in this world. And so if you, if you shrink the gospel, then you end up with a private gospel. That's exactly
2: right. Yeah, there's a tendency for us to make it kind of a me and Jesus thing, which the gospel Mm -hmm. is individual. The gospel is personal. Mm -hmm. The gospel is about you confessing your sins and repenting and believing in Jesus. We're not saying it's not that. We're just saying it's also more than that. More than that. And so if it's a world forming restoration project for all of creation, where one day Jesus says a new city will come down. and rest here on this earth, and he will rule and reign with actually people sitting on twelve thrones, and there will be cities and walls and gates, and well actually no gates because it doesn't matter, there will be no enemies, but there will be, there'll be walls, there will be food. Yeah, that, that means that Aurelia, the vision um, of the new heavens and new earth, again, is fu- fully political, but in the mm-hmm. best sense. Uh, a, a ruler right. who has authority, what, what's the beautiful about the Christian vision? is you have a ruler that is completely good
1: <laughs>
2: with all authority who will make everything right and true and good. So when we think of authority, we think of the abuse of authority and there is abuse of authority,
1: mm-hmm. but
2: Oliver O'Donovan, who's really big in political or, or in kind of political ethics, really has a great book, which basically argues at its sum that all authority comes from God mm-hmm. and therefore authority has to, has, has to be good at the beginning. And along with Augustine, he's saying that sin is is basically a corruption of the good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, uh, authority is a good thing. It comes from God, and we're supposed to use it rightly, but the problem is our sin. We corrupt it. And Mm. you see that in the church. You see that in our own lives. You see that in the governing systems. Uh, And what Christians are trying to press towards it is there's only one hope. There's only one hope, and that's
0: found in Jesus, Mm. the true ruler, the one who Mm -hmm. is good
2: completely. So. Yeah. That's good. Two th- yeah. two
0: passages come to mind. Uh, the government shall be on his shoulders. Yes. That's inherently political. Yes. And then uh, all of the Sermon on the Mount, I suppose if, if you squinted really hard, you could maybe read that <laughs> as a privatized uh, way of engaging in the world, but mm-hmm. that necessitates a public action. There's the city on the hill, and there's even yeah. if the soldier asks you to go a mile, you go two miles. Just, just the way uh, a Christian, uh, I guess pre-Christians at that particular moment, but the way you would respond to that would be in a public manner not in a private right. manner and the yeah. and the king was speaking the king was preaching
2: yeah i always i actually said i think i said this in the book but i'm always um, yeah, you quoted from isaiah 9 the government will be on his shoulders that's like the christmas card that you get from people right, right. <laughs> And I, I think I put this in the book, but you're all I'm always shocked at like, wow, you're making a pretty big political statement with your Christmas card. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you went all in there. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The Prince of Peace. You know what I mean? Everlasting Straight to father. monarchy.
0: It's incredible. But it's
2: just like we worship one king and Merry Christmas, everyone. And I'm like, do you realize what you're saying there? And you're exactly right with the Sermon on the Mount as well. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers. Mm. Is that a private or public thing? I would just mm. say yes. It's both. Mm. <laughs> in other words, it's a private thing or between individuals, but it's also blessed are the peacemakers in society and mm. more largely. That's what Christians are called to do. And so again, I, I don't want to over—I don't want to overreact to an individualist, uh, like an individualistic gospel. But I think if we struggle with anything, it's probably that we've made it too individualistic and not make it commu- made it communal enough.
1: Mm-hmm. One one of the things that uh, uh, that I'm gonna go a completely different direction I told you before we <laughs> started. No, yeah, recording. yeah, that's
2: great. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh, one of the things I enjoyed about your ETS presentation was the the way that you expressed the the nature of the conflict. Between the proclamation of the gospel and the message of Paul, and you know what he was accused of by the authorities, and how the rub really was with the message rather than with some sort of protest or some kind of um, uh, action that he was taking against the government. Yeah. yeah. And the reason that that the reason that I I like that is because w- the the rub for us has been and you've maybe i don't know what the masks mandates were in missouri but not not much of anything let's just say we got rubbed up here in oregon (laughs) (laughs) and the the rub was you know i'm going to make some kind of protest here i'm not going to wear my mask or i don't think the government should do this therefore the government's wrong and it was became about the thing yeah and not about the message and i don't know if you can elaborate that for uh, elaborate about that for people who didn't get to hear you at ETS. But what were some of the messages that, yeah, you know, the, the accusations against Paul that would focus the, the yeah, for us? yeah,
2: that's great. Yeah. So, as Paul, one of the things I did at this ETS meeting was I just walked through Paul really in the second half of Acts and really the second missionary journey, even and on how he went into these different cities and in the second missionary journey, he's getting closer to Rome. And so the Roman issue is actually becoming more and more of an issue because he's just getting closer to the city. Um, and as he goes into the city, he, he basically goes in and proclaims a basic gospel message. <laughs> like it's Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He died for your sins. You need to repent, and believe, and change your life. Included in that, though, are, are miracles that he does. Uh, he heals people. He rescues them from demonic forces. Um, and, you know, people interpret his message, as you alluded to, as a very political thing. And so as he proclaims in Thessalonica, is one example, Acts 17, you can just even turn there to Acts 17 if you're listening to this and read through that text. In Acts 17, Paul goes into Thessalonica and he proclaims Jesus as the Messiah, and they say, you're defying the decrees of Caesar and turning the world upside down by saying this.
1: Hmm.
2: And so it's in- like to me, that, that it's clear that's inherent in the message itself that it's fully political. And the word I use is that it's subversive to the culture of the time. Mm-hmm. It's subversive because he's saying by declaring Jesus's kingship, there's a sense in which he's implicitly saying Caesar is not king. Not We're going to have to explain what that means, right? Not king over the whole world. He's actually not challenging Caesar's rule in any sense, In some well, in some sense. But he is proclaiming Jesus's kingship over Caesar, and that upsets them. And so it was actually the message that caused kind of this turmoil. And what you actually see is there's riots um, in Ephesus. You have people coming together saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Like it, it causes upheaval in society, just the basic Christian message. But what we also have, and this is what you alluded to again, what we also have to pair that with is when Paul goes before the courts. They say all the judges say you're innocent. In other words, your actions have been above reproach. <laughs> mm-hmm. Your message has caused a problem, but your actions have been above reproach. So every time Paul goes before a Roman judge, they say, I can't, I just like Jesus. I mean, he's walking in the footsteps of Jesus, right? Ultimately, I think this whole narrative is following the footsteps of Jesus. He's following his Savior and Lord. They always say I've got nothing to accuse this guy of. You've you've brought all these accusations, you say he's disrupting the temple, you say he's defying Caesar. In Corinth, Gallio is a kind of famous judge and he says this is a Jewish law thing. Like don't bother me with this. I've got mm. I, don't, I don't there's nothing that I have to do with this. So so this is this is what I was trying to explain the paradox of the Christian message is that it disrupts what is happening here on the earth but it's also completely innocent and submissive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And somehow both those two paradoxes go together. And I think that's exactly what happened in Jesus's life. Mm -hmm. It was disruptive. And so he was crucified on a Roman cross, but also Pilate said he was innocent. So Mm -hmm. he's crucified as a rebel to the state, but Pilate recognized this man has done nothing wrong. So, I mean, that's a a bunch of Bible, but how does that apply to us? Like, what is that? As you alluded to, our message will naturally should naturally cause some disruption, but also when we come before the courts, they should say you've done nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, I mean, like, let's just, I mean, is it okay if I just keep talking? <laughs> sure. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you're here. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I, I just keep going sometimes, but you, you okay. go like go to a text where they ask, should you pay taxes to Caesar? Mm-hmm and you know yeah that it's okay we we might have some complaints against our governing system and our governors and our mayors and our president um whoever it might be we might have some complaints against them but remember when jesus is asked this question should you pay taxes to caesar he's not being asked like caesar was way worse than anything we're experiencing just to be clear like they Mm -hmm. if you go against caesar you're like buried alive they cut you open they sew things inside of you i mean i could get very gory in terms of what they do but it's a totalitarian regime and so no matter how many excuses we have about (laughs) well i don't like this and i don't like that and you know like there are some legitimate complaints i think that we can have but we if we're going to reform i think we want to do it in the right way. All, all this to say, though, when Jesus is asked about a governing system that is way worse than ours, he looks at them and says, obey them, pay taxes. To them. That's what Paul says in Romans 13. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 2. He's like, mm-hmm. yep, yeah, they're terrible. I'm not even going to say that, but God's actually instituted them, so you have to pay taxes to them, and you have to submit to them. Mm-hmm. And so that that's challenging, and I think we either focus fully on that the submissive side, or we focus fully on the Well, we subvert side. And that's the paradox to me that you actually have to bring both of those together somehow. Mm. And so when people hear submit, they're like, Oh, I love that when uh, I like what they're doing. (laughs) And when I don't like what they're doing, then I want to subvert. So we have to, we really have to be careful with, I mean, this is a longer conversation, but we have, I think, we have to be careful with the distinction between our American freedom and our Christian freedom. Mm, and sometimes a, those, those two things are uh, like combined or confused. We have Christian freedom under God. We do not, oh, we don't have to obey governing authorities if they command us to do something that is against God's will. Mm. But also under God, we're called to obey a governing authorities. <laughs> right. both, again, both those things are true. Mm. So yeah, that's a lot of thoughts. So you guys can just pitch back on any of that.
0: There's there's so many of our city on a hill podcast bingo squares in that that whole thing. <laughs> it's really, really good. good. But I think the the submit and subvert is, is another. We, we talked about first. We have talked about First Peter. Um, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Yeah. Honor the emperor as being a compass for that's us. Great over the yep. last two years, really? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what's my action gonna be? Does it fit within within this rubric? And I think that's similar, um, the sub, subvert or submit. Yep. Uh, we need to make sure we're sub, subverting the right things, not just some action we don't like. It, the yep. the s- subversion should be the message. And I think, so, If kind of back to your partisan private piece, um, often we go, yeah, subversion, I'm gonna be partisan. And right. that's not, really it's it's a gospel message thing and we should i just love that it that encourages me to go i'm going to keep proclaiming gospel that right. may be what gets me in trouble let let that get me in trouble not yeah. my submissiveness yeah um, or my lack of submissiveness
2: yeah when people hear subversion they're like okay i'm going to go protest this i'm going to defy the government this way but Again, when you look at the New Testament, what's their way of subversion? It's being the church and mm-hmm. proclaiming the gospel. That's the main way. So I want to start there and just say their main way of actually changing society is by being transformed themselves in their own communities. Mm. And that's really that's, that's where it all starts. And then I do want to say, though. Paul and Jesus and Peter did not exist over, under a governing system where they had the opportunity to change uh, systems. Right. Mm. So think about slavery. Why, why didn't Paul and Peter just rail against slavery and change that? Because I think under the system they were at, there was no chance that that would happen. But we live in a different time where we can take our Christian morality and through law-based reforms, also try to change things in our society for the good of humanity. That's not a distinctly Christian move, although I think we can use Christian morals behind that. Again, we're, it's it's not a forcing um, our beliefs upon other people, but rather thinking about how does society flourish and if there's any injustice, if there's any... Um, um, unequality or something like that in our system, then we can push towards those reforms as well because we do live under a different governing system. This, the thing that's so, it is difficult and it's so hard because Paul and Jesus and Peter and all of the apostles lived under a different type of government than we do. Mm-hmm. And so what you can't make, a you, you can't always make a one-to-one correlation. You can right. make some correlations, but you have to recognize we do exist at a different time and in a different place and under a different type of government. And so we do have to take some difference. I think we you, we have to say we can take some additional steps as well. So I use in the book, I use um, like the civil rights movement or even the American Revolution. Are those type of things OK in light of Romans 13, First Peter, two? Well, I think under a law based system, we we actually are called to reform different systems if they are out of order and i think those two things were out of order mm. and so we are called to do those sort of things now how do you do that you do it in a public way you do it in a nonviolent way <laughs> you, you you know what i mean you've exhausted all other options and so forth and so on so there's there's kind of all these different steps i think you need to to make sure that you've you've taken to to do this sort of reform so i remember um at least in portland when i i i just was get got really specific with people and i said you know the, the way to reform or subvert is not to march on the capitol it just isn't and mm-hmm. it's also not to loot and riot downtown and destroy businesses i just don't think that's the way i think there's a peace form of protests that you can do mm-hmm. but if you went back to kind of um the different riots that we had or the the protests i would just say according to the scriptures that just doesn't seem the way that we are called to subvert so mm-hmm. that's when the air went out of
0: the room everyone was like i, I, can't, believe, I can't believe i remember you're that, that moment yeah <laughs> nice well, let, let me put let me push on that a little bit because you re- referenced yeah. uh uh civil rights the civil rights movement of the 60s and then american revolution and then you said nonviolent. Um civil rights movement, yes. American Revolution, not so much. Yeah. So what were you referring to there for the American Revolution?
2: Yeah, so th- there's a distinction, uh, I mean, I, I'm not an American historian, but um the civil rights movement, yes, I think was largely made up of nonviolent resistance and that right. was actually more su- that was successful in that. The American Revolution, um I think Christians largely are called to non, non, well, this is getting into a deeper topic, Non-violence um, in, in personal relationships. Mm-hmm. I do think this state has the power of the sword.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: so when there is uh, an attack, which is, this is how I understand uh, that moment in history, when there's an attack, there is the ability to defend yourself um, under, under the role of the state. And so I think for Christians, typically your your move is nonviolent, but maybe under the realm of the state, there's a place for um, defense or fighting in that in that sense. So that's that's a huge longer debate on just <laughs> war theory and whether yeah. that's okay. But um, I would and, say and, wh-
0: and whether the whether the rebels were a state, there's yes, that too. <laughs>
2: yes, uh, under a cert- a government that was forming or
0: right. mm-hmm.
2: non-existent at that point. Yes.
0: And we can get into a whole, whole nerd conversation
1: there. So
2: I'll, I'll, I'll let Scott rein it back
1: in. Well, yeah, let's get you back to the Bible, Patrick.
2: <laughs> You're like, I don't want him talking about the American Revolution anymore. This is not good. That's
0: right. Uh, no. You, it, we, we are on record of being fans of the results of the American Revolution. I'll, I'll say that. I, maybe I could even go back just
2: briefly. When you said 1 Peter 2, uh, uh, is it honor everyone Mm-hmm. love the brotherhood, fear God and honor the emperor. Some mm-hmm. some sort mm-hmm. of that yep. order. I, I think that is a great text. I'm glad you guys are using that. I actually went back to that text again and again in my own mind as kind of actually a compass for myself yep. too, because it, it's it's set up as an A, B, B, A format, mm-hmm. honor, honor on the ends, and then love mm-hmm. and fear in the middle. And what I think Peter is teaching them is that we have, again, this is Augustine's language, but ordered loves. Mm-hmm. So love and fear are, are, um, they're they're more primary (laughs) and it goes towards the church and God himself, Mm -hmm. but you honor everyone and the emperor. (laughs) And so it's not that you can't be um, patriotic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's not that you can't love uh, the system that you're under in some sense. It's not that you can't honor those things, but your primary loyalty is to the people of God and God himself. That's mm-hmm. what Peter is saying, and at the same time, he's also this is where it's submit and subvert, right? When he says honor everyone and honor the emperor, that was both uh, like uh, something to honor them and and give them respect, but actually, by saying honor everyone, he said, I think Peter has just made your response to the slave the sl- same response that you have towards the emperor. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> honor everyone that includes the slave. Right. In that society. And so in one sense, Caesar would have, if he ever would, have, he never would read these things. But if he would have read it, he would have been like, amen. Wait, no, I don't like that. You're supposed to honor me above everyone else. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so Peter has somewhat flattened the status pyramid of mm-hmm. the Greco-Roman world and said, Christians, you actually act differently. You do honor him, but you honor him like you honor everyone.
0: Mm-hmm. In other
2: words, the people you pass by on the street who are nothing to you, you honor them as well. And that's being a. I think that's being a good citizen. According to Peter, being a good citizen is actually part of our witness. That's evangelism
1: mm. for him. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So one of the things you, one of the things you do in the book that I you didn't get to talk about at ETS that I'd be interested in hearing is that you you put Romans thirteen and Revelation thirteen together. Yeah. Uh, how do those two go together?
2: Yeah. So a, a little phrase I came up with was that just we, we tend to either go towards Revelation thirteen, the government is from the beast and from the dragon and from Satan himself. <laughs> or Romans thirteen, you submit to all governing authorities. And both of those things are in the Bible. There you go. And, and that that's where it's confusing to us. It's like, wait, why would we submit to a governing authority that is from the from Satan himself? <laughs> like that doesn't seem to make any sense. Well, um, that, that's where the, the paradox again comes in in the scriptures, that God affirms both the governing system comes from him and it is his way of ruling and ordering society. Sometimes that goes well and sometimes it doesn't because, yeah, we could look across all of world history. But um, but at the very same time, Satan co-ops and uses those, the forces of darkness uses those um systems to spread death and sin and chaos. So, they are both sources of light and order and source uh, sources of darkness. Mm. And can both of those things be true at the same time? Well, I actually found it really helpful just to look inside my own soul and say do both of those things come from my own soul sometimes too. Mm, yeah, that's yeah. good. And so it, when I say that people are like, "Wait a second. How is that true that they're both they both order society and provide peace and stability and at the same time provide chaos and well, uh, I mean just look at your own life, isn't that exactly what happens in our own life too?" And so I think we have to be able to affirm both of those. I I um, th- there's a tendency probably in, in maybe younger evangelical Christians to m- maybe this isn't true, so I'm, I'm broad broad brushing <laughs> this, but right? There's a tendency to just talk about what we don't like about our government. Mm. That, and that's, I always an,
1: say, that's an older that's an older people too there. Okay, it's an so older people that, yeah. If it's untrue, it's because it includes <laughs> more people than just younger people.
2: So, but I always like, whenever I'm in class, I always like to remind students, um, were you robbed on the way here? Most of the people hopefully no. And did did the traffic lights work on the way here? Yeah. And where are you sitting right now? You're sitting in a building with air conditioning and electricity in comfortable chairs. And I have a whiteboard up here and a computer and a TV. And you know how all those things came about? Somebody actually sacrificed their time to order our society, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, yeah. uh, to, to actually make the electricity. Somebody had to ha- make sure the electricity was working today in our city <laughs> and they have to sit there and run it. You know what I mean? And some, the police have to be working today so that there's not rampant crime in our city. And so the fact that we can actually debate what is good about our governing system, we are provided the opportunity to debate that in the midst of order and peace largely in our society. Mm. And we should be very thankful for that. Now, at the same time, you're going to go home and you're going to watch the news tonight and say, I can't believe they're doing this. <laughs> I can't believe this is happening. What is going on in this world? And I'm just, again, it's it's the, the paradox of both things are true at the same time. Mm. Uh, that, 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 That then that's why we submit because it's part of God's nat uh, natural law and ordering of society, and we subvert because we realize this isn't the new heavens and new earth. Mm -hmm. So I just keep going going back to those words, but Revelation thirteen and Romans thirteen just have to actually fit together for us,
1: right?
0: Well, and it does ring true. uh, A tool, the magnitude of its of its effectiveness or its power can um, dictates. How it can be used for good or ill so like that's a hammer right. i can use it to build things or hurt yep. people that's right. um, the stronger that tool gets the yep. more it can uh reap i think you said chaos um, yeah. and destruction and you just described an ordered society and um to the degree that anyone answered yes to those questions like did right. you get robbed away here that's because government wasn't working that's right yeah and mm-hmm. then you look on the news and there's something like russia invading ukraine that's using that huge tool for mm-hmm. destruction Uh, because it's such a powerful tool.
2: Yeah. And I don't want you to misunderstand the statement, but I think it was actually Richard Mao. We were talking about that before we got on the air. Mm -hmm. He said something in one of his books on politics where he said um, something to the effect of, and I found it really helpful, um, in every person and in every governing system, there are elements of Jerusalem and of Babylon. That's Mm -hmm. just a summary of what I just said. And I I thought, yeah, that's really true. And what he's not saying is that Every city or governing state has an element of um, a a Christian sense of it, but rather Jerusalem in terms of uh, natural order and law, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then Babylon, that's the chaos and the sin and the corruption. And, you know, as we're looking around the world, I think you can affirm some governing systems lean more one way or the other sometimes, you know what I mean? Like that's just, uh, again, we're watching what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. And we're all lamenting that because I mm. think Russia, especially, is leaning towards their Babylonian side. <laughs>
1: right.
2: that, that's just what's happening right now.
1: Again, that's an understatement, probably, but that's yes. good. Yes.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm a professor. I try to say things, you know, carefully.
1: a <laughs> that, boy. That's good. Uh, well, and so your, I mean, your summary is really to subvert or to submit. And so if, you know, just just biblically, I mean, you you suggested that that's the way that that um, Paul's message was um, subversive, but his actions were submissive. I mean, again, if you could kind of give us uh, maybe as a church or as a pastor's uh, advice about how we might both subvert and submit or help our churches subvert and submit. Can you can you kind of help us thread that needle just a little more?
2: Yeah, and I I would say um, this is not the only thing we can say about how we interact with the governing system. This is just a a way of speaking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of like even I know these are terms, but to use a definition, I think to subvert, I, I just describe it as to use your words or your actions to critique or undermine the usual way of doing something. Mm. And then submit is to voluntarily yield to the authority of another. So what does it look like to submit? Well, uh, as we've been talking about, um, you know, we we submit because we recognize God rules actually through these rulers. <laughs> mm. So our aim mm. is not to be anarchists or to destroy the government because, why? Because as Christians, we recognize that even if we dis, like we disrupt the whole governing system, there's a long line of dark dark powers ready to take their place.
1: Hmm. This is and, true.
2: And, and so there might be a time to reform, right? A governing system. We could talk about when when those times are. But I think you look at Jesus and Paul. They weren't like, "All right, let's let's change this whole thing. Let's uh, remove Caesar from his throne." Uh, Jesus was not after Caesar's throne. <laughs> he was. There you go. He was after a higher throne, right? And actually, according to that text where he um, speaks about paying taxes to Caesar, he says Caesar can stay on his throne. Mm-hmm. You know, like he says, your sovereignty exists under my sovereignty. So mm-hmm. all that means is that I, I don't think Christians to when we submit, we're not we're not we're not revolutionaries. We're actually go, we're actually called to support the govern government and what they're doing. We're called mm-hmm. to support them. And that means that means that we um, obey unless it goes against God's law and command. Now this is this is where uh, let's get really practical. I talked about this in class a few weeks ago. So this is where it gets complicated though and this is where it got complicated during COVID, right? Because there was a command, let's just go to the church thing cuz we're we're here on a podcast. Why not? This is what this is what the people want, right? There you go. Give the people um, what they want. Bring it. Bring it. <laughs> um there's a command that Christians are called to meet together in Hebrews 13, right? do not forsake assembling together. Then the government comes along in the midst of COVID and says, you can't meet together. And Christians responded differently to that. And churches responded differently to that. Mm -hmm. Now the, the reason it's so complicated is because there are spheres of authority for the church and for the state. I think this is pretty clear in the scriptures. One way to describe it is the church holds the authority of the keys and the state holds the authority of the sword. So what are the keys? Well, the keys for the church, they have authority over doctrine, I think over membership. So what what does that mean? Well, it comes from heaven. It comes from Jesus Christ himself, but he actually has given his ministers on the earth, his people on the earth, the authority to say, this is what Christians believe. And we can also name who we, as far as we can tell, who we think believes that (laughs) Mm -hmm. those people are part of the church or you're not part of the church. Our authority is the church's authority is that, and we don't have the same authority that the state does. At the same time, the state doesn't have the authority that the church does. So the the state can't say, this is what you must believe because they're given the authority of the sword, not of the keys. And so they can't determine our doctrine. I don't think a good government can't. They can't determine who we allow or who we disallow uh, or discipline in our churches, so forth and so on. That's not their role. And so you have different spheres of authority all under natural law, but that's another discussion, but um, they have different spheres of authority, but sometimes those spheres of authority overlap. And that's what happened in this situation because we as the church have the authority to say to the state, no, we should meet Mm -hmm. and we can meet because God tells us to. And if you say no, we're going to have to disobey you. But at the same time, this state has the authority to order public health and they are actually supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. And so what you got in the COVID pandemic was an overlap where if you have 2 concentric circles and they're overlapping, we have the authority to say we can meet and they have the authority to say we can't because of a public health issue. And that's where Christians divided over it. So then you have to determine, well, which one outweighs the other. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that I, I'm not, I'm not going to give you like a prognostication on that, but I, I think that was, that was, <laughs> it was, it was legitimate, right? for the state to say don't meet because of a public health issue. Now, right. when it becomes not legitimate for them to say that, then there becomes an issue. <laughs> right. But when there's a legitimate way for them to say that, now if you're in a country or a state where um the, the government is singling out churches and everybody else can meet,
1: right. well then you have an mm. issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, uh, this, clear.
2: This is the same. Now I don't if you want me to want you I don't know how much you want me to keep going on this, but this is actually the same issue with children. Who has this is fears of authority? This is Abraham Kuyper, right? Sure. Who has fear of authority over children? Well, parents do, mm-hmm. but actually, the government has some fear of authority over children too. In what way? We actually all acknowledge this, because if uh, parents are sexually abusing their children, the state should step in.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so they, they have, have the sword. Because they have the sword, so they should actually step in and do something. Or if children aren't being fed in their homes, that's where social services step in. And I think that's right and good because they're trying to order society. And when parents have right neglected their authority or abused their authority over their children, then another authority has to come in and do something. Right. So again, there's there's uh, <laughs> there's separation and there's overlap, right? right. <laughs> and that that's where it becomes so hard when you get that that place of overlap you're like okay do we submit or subvert here so you asked a, a question mm-hmm. a long time ago and I'm gumming I'm mm-hmm. around to it uh, and that this is this is where it becomes hard right do you submit or subvert well um, that's where you need the wisdom of um, leaders mm-hmm. you need the wisdom of church history you need the wisdom of a community and I would say I think my big push for people is you don't need to make this decision on your own don't put mm-hmm. all the pressure on yourself <laughs> right. mm-hmm. that's why you have a church. Right. and don't don't make the decision by yourself with msnbc or fox news you know what i mean mm. like make the decision and, and sit down with christians other christians in your small group or in your sunday school or whatever community you have and say hey how are how should we think about this mm. and talk about it like and don't get mad at each other right <laughs> too and late you- for
1: that but thank you for that <laughs> recommendation
2: yeah. Uh, this is like my pastoral side saying, come on, like, have a honest conversation about it and say, here's my thought on this. Mm-hmm. And then maybe somebody else is going to say something different. And you might need to consider that, you know, mm-hmm. and that that's I think if we can if we can come together and actually discuss this in a healthy way, hopefully we'll be able to come out with a good actually witness to the state and how we
1: respond to the state. Mm. Right, and I think that's been one of you know my concerns. In fact, I think one of our concerns, and even starting the podcast, is just the witness of the church has been so, so all over the place because our relationship to politics has been so all over the place. That's right. And I really would love for Jesus to you know look good in uh, our world because of how the church engages the state. And yeah. I, I think he, I, I think that can happen. That's yeah. kind of what we're trying to do here. So right. yeah.
2: Yep. And it goes back first 1 Peter 2, let your conduct be honorable among the Gentiles. I think it's 2:11 yeah. and 12. And that's where he goes through the whole thing, how do how do you treat one another? He he, he says basically be good citizens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. be good citizens. And that's in the context of being a good Christian. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. So
2: right. that uh, that text has always been so, I mean that section of text has always been so helpful for to me because they are a minority group in a majority culture. And he's saying, what do you do? And some of the commands are hard. He says, slaves, submit to your masters, Mm -hmm. citizens or subjects, submit to the government and wives, submit to your husbands. And remember, Jesus suffered for doing good. He brings it to Jesus every time. Mm -hmm. He says, Jesus suffered for doing good. And he was hung up on a cross. And you know what he did? He didn't open his mouth in response. Mm -hmm. He was the ultimate slave there. I mean, he, Peter puts it right under the slave text, right. and he says, look, Jesus is your example here, and you know why they were mad at Jesus? It goes back to our whole conversation, because he preached a message that that government did not like in some sense, right. and then he went before them, and he goes, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm actually going to die for your good. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I am so for your good that I'm willing, I mean, that this is the sacrificial part of submissiveness, right? I'm so for your good that I'm willing to be persecuted so that you might see the light.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I think that's the witness that Christians have to have.
1: Yeah. That would be wonderful to yeah. see that. I mean, to, <laughs> yeah. really, to, to see the church like Jesus would be beautiful for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, um, yeah, taking uh, some time out of your evening to spend with us. And uh, as you can tell, there's there's more <laughs> there's more inside of Patrick that then he let out here today. he's, he's been holding back, and uh, uh, come when October you can. Yeah, find I think book.
2: October it's B and H is publishing so you should be able to find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all those different places.
1: Okay, and uh, yeah, we'll look forward to that, and uh, I've already got it saved on my wish list, so I'm looking forward to that coming out, and. Um, Yeah. Thank you for taking some time here with us. And I hope that uh, uh, you were encouraged. I hope that our listeners were encouraged. I know Eric and I were, this is like he said, this is our bingo card and it's full. That's great. Uh, Well, I'm glad you
2: guys are doing this and um, miss you guys. Good seeing your faces again, for sure. So thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you.
0: Well, thanks everyone for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and rate us if you find What we're doing helpful a review obviously goes a long way share this with a friend if you have questions send them to comment at cityonahillpodcast.com and we look forward to the next conversation